This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Iron. Rosen traded to the Dolphins. I couldn't be more excited to become a Dolphin. Rosen looking down the field, and his pass is going to be caught for the touchdown. He's running around, circling, and look out! Krakowski didn't have the angle! Welcome, everybody, to the Doomsday Edition of Fin It to Win, and I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Dolphins fan, lead editor at USA Today's Dolphins Wire, and one very, very thankful fan, slash analyst, slash whatever you want to call me, that the Dolphins are on a bye this week, because that means the Dolphins are guaranteed not to lose. The Dolphins will not lose this weekend, and that is a win as far as I'm concerned with the way everything else has gone to this point in the 2019 NFL season. Um, Did we have a fun September? There's low-key secretly a part of me that wishes the Dolphins had a Week 17 bye just so we could get the games over with. Like, I'd kind of be cool with that. Let's just run the gauntlet, get it over with, and we'll be done. Uh, But that's not the case. The Dolphins have a bye week five before hosting the almost equally abysmal Washington Redskins. But fear not. Today's show is primarily dedicated to the doomsday scenario if what happens if the Dolphins are not in a position to draft to a Tunga Viola at the end of the year. Uh, I see that a lot. I see Travis Wingfield of Locked On ask this question all the time. I see the beat reporters ask this all the time. Fourth and Inches crew asks this all the time. Uh, the Finn Sider guys ask this all the time. Like everybody who covers the Dolphins gets asked this question. They say, What if it doesn't happen? All reports suggest the Dolphins are tanking for Tua Tunga Viola. What happens if they don't end up having the opportunity to draft him? What does the team do? Where does this team plan go from here? And uh, that, that's what we're going to talk about today. But before I get you too worried, I do want to rest your worries with just how bad the Dolphins are and why they will not find themselves in this position at the end of the year. Because it's pretty eye-opening to look at a couple different metrics. There's a, the Dolphins will effectively be in last place in any statistical measure that you could possibly dream up if it's a measure of like good play on the field, right? And that's okay. Like That's the design of the team this year. It's what they're supposed to be. You know, no pain, no gain. That, that's kind of, the, the Dolphins are in the phase of you got to crawl before you can walk. Well, we're, we've slowed to about as slow of a crawl, if not belly up and not crawling at all, as you possibly can. But I looked at a number of different measures 
uh, for some stuff I wrote for Dolphins Wire, and there's some pretty eye-popping numbers. Uh, the Dolphins, in the history of their organization since 1966, their first season, have had uh, now six seasons where they had a plus-minus point differential that was triple digits, three figures in the red, where they were uh, so bad that they were outscored throughout the course of the season by more than 100 points. 1966 and 1967 are the first two instances, uh, the first two seasons of existence for the organization. The 2007-1-15 team, coached by Cam Cameron, and now each of the last three seasons, Adam Gase and Matt Burke's train wreck of a defense in consecutive years, I believe 112 and 114 were their negative point differentials. And the Miami Dolphins this year are already the fourth highest negative point differential, I believe 137, in the history of the Miami Dolphins organization, which is mind-numbing that they've played four games and only three teams in the history of the Dolphins organization have been more in the red in point differential at the end of the season when what the Dolphins are right now, and it's September. Eye-popping numbers. Um, so, so rest assured, this is a historic season for the Dolphins in all the wrong possible ways, but it's also by design. And that's what it comes back to is the idea that we have to start over. We have to hit refresh. We have to... Uh, remove ourselves from this toxic cycle of thinking that we're a couple players away, signing those players, those players either inevitably getting hurt or not being enough of a difference maker that they keep the Dolphins floating in that pool of mediocrity to never really address their core positions of need with blue chip talents like uh, pass rush. They hit the jackpot with Xavier Howard at corner, but corner by and large, has been a problem area for the Dolphins. The quarterback position for forever. It's all kind of added up where Miami's never really in a position to get a blue-chip talent. And the times that they've they've had the, the opportunity to draft them in recent years was Laramie Tunsil and Mika Fitzpatrick, both of who have been traded. But the good news is you spent two picks outside the top 10 on those two players and you've netted in return three first-round picks and a second-round pick. It's a good return on investment for the Miami Dolphins, and they've kind of stockpiled it all together, where, again, you got to crawl before you can walk. We're crawling right now, and that's by design, and by putting everything back on square one, the entire roster back on square one, we have this exciting situation now where the Dolphins can bring all this talent in over the course of a three-year window, and hope to, to win with that talent. But what happens hypothetically? Dolphins lose to the, or Dolphins beat the Redskins, the Bengals, and the Jets once and go 3-13 and and finish with a third pick. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals primarily being the team that we have to be worried about as Dolphins fans when we're looking to forecast forward. I look at teams like the Jets are, are winless and in conversation of having the top pick. Adam Gase is coaching for job security, and you've got a second-year quarterback in Sam Darnold that they just traded a bunch of assets for. 
I don't think the Jets are going to be a threat at the end of the year, especially because they have to play the Dolphins twice. The Washington Redskins. Uh, this one's interesting because I can see Dan Snyder firing Jay Gruden, but this team just drafted a quarterback in the first round of last year's draft that was picked because the owner wanted him. So I have a really hard time seeing Washington with the number one pick drafting a quarterback when Dan Snyder, you know, like it or not, calls the shots. And Dan Snyder's going to say, okay, you want to come coach my football team? You're going to keep my guy a quarterback. I don't think they're going to have the negotiation of, well, two is the best player, or, or some people may think two is not the best player, and we'll talk about that at a later time. Uh, but generally speaking... I think Washington's kind of handcuffed themselves because Dan Snyder's committed to Dwayne Haskins, and anything that goes wrong this year, they're just going to pin back on Jay Gruden. And there's this clear divide between Jay Gruden didn't want Dwayne Haskins, and Dan Snyder did want Dwayne Haskins, and Gruden's been apprehensive to put him in, and then he finally puts Haskins in, and he doesn't play well. So now there's even more drama between the two. But at the end of the day, like Washington, they're going to go out and they're going to lose the Patriots this week. And I don't think you can fire Jay Gruden coming off a loss to the Patriots. So the question then becomes, okay, you know, Jay Gruden's effectively coaching for his job against the Miami Dolphins in week six. Are the Dolphins going to lose that football game? I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt Washington will lose that football game. Uh, Arizona Cardinals are winless, but again, they just took a quarterback number one overall. So I don't think they're a legitimate threat. The Denver Broncos are a team that was organized and put together with the intent of, again, winning right now. They brought in Joe Flacco. They hired an experienced head coach in Vic Fangio. They made these kinds of moves with the intent of being a quote-unquote safe team that could win 9 or 10 games potentially. They've started 0-4. They've had some bad breaks. They probably lost two games they shouldn't have lost. They could very easily be 2-2. They're competitive, which is the most important point. This is not a team that farts all over themselves on a weekly basis like the Dolphins do and can't get first downs in the second half of football games. I mean, they, they, they had the Bears. It took a cheap, uh, a cheap roughing the passer situation uh, to bail the Bears out at Mile High Stadium. So I don't think the Broncos in the long term are going to be an issue there. The issue is the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Dolphins play the Bengals Week 16, and I'm watching Monday Night Football this past week, and the Steelers-Bengals root my ass off uh, for the Bengals to win this football game because it would have made life so much easier. Would have knocked the Steelers down to to 0-4. Would have propped the Bengals up with a win. And Cincinnati just got crushed, right? Like, nowhere near the same Cincinnati team that showed up and almost beat Seattle Week 1. (laughs) Just... They look so inept in every phase of the game. But that's what Pittsburgh does to them. Familiar divisional opponents. When they got the book on you and you're really handcuffed, a better team can can really rock you. And I think that's what we saw with the Bengals playing the Steelers on Monday Night Football. So I don't think the Steelers are as good as they looked. Um, but the Bengals are probably as bad as they looked. <laughs> the Bengals are a bad football team. They've been hit hard with injuries on the offensive line. Had some retirements. Give you a little bit of perspective. Jim Turner, uh, former Dolphins offensive line coach during the quote-unquote Bullygate era, 
uh, is their offensive line coach. So things are expected going as you would expect for the, the, the Bengals offensive line. It's not good. Andy Dalton looked lost. Uh, Joe Mixon's been banged up, but even when he's not, he's got no room to run. They're missing A.J. Green. Um, the linebackers are 1980s-era linebackers. They got some good pieces on the pass rush up front. Andrew Billings got hurt this past week for them, so they're really getting tested with depth, and they don't have the depth. So the Bengals are really the only team that you got to circle and be like, all right, if the Bengals finish ahead of the Dolphins in the draft order, Miami's probably going to be in a little bit of trouble. If that situation were to materialize, now we have to ask the question, what quarterback is probably a more attractive fit for the Cincinnati Bengals? And that gets us into the dynamics of Tua Tunga Viola as a quarterback, some of the other top names, whether it's Justin Herbert as a top quarterback, uh, I think those two are pretty comfortably the top two names that you'll get from anybody involved. But both of them kind of have their uh, unique circumstances that especially NFL evaluators, maybe less of us on the outside, but but folks who are, are working for the teams and doing the background on the teams, there's going to be some questions asked about both these guys, and, and probably you'll get enough of an opinion base that, uh, you'll have some split decisions on both these guys. I can very realistically see some teams favoring Justin Herbert uh, because he is much more of a prototypical style passer. He's got the, he ch- passes the eyeball test. He has better physical tools than Tua Tungo Viola. Uh, he's got a stronger arm. He's bigger and stronger within the pocket. He's not as quick, but big, strong within the pocket. Also mobile, the ability to extend plays. You see Josh Allen from the Buffalo Bills have some success in that area. Now, Herbert's built similarly, but he's a much better passer than than, uh, than what Josh Allen was coming out of Wyoming. And the, the viability and consistency of Josh Allen as a franchise quarterback is uh, still something that's a little bit up in the air. Uh, we don't know how good he's going to be. But ultimately, at the end of the day, that was a top 10 pick. And if the Dolphins aren't in a position to draft, draft the first quarterback, is there any reasonable chance that, say, the Cincinnati Bengals is really, honestly, the only team the Dolphins have to really worry about being ahead of them in the draft order? Uh, is there any feasibility that they would favor Justin Herbert over, over to a Tonga Viola? And we'll talk about that as soon as I talk to you guys about today's sponsors, of Fin It to Win It. Today's episode of Fin It to Win It is brought to you by Indochino. Indochino was founded on the belief that you don't have to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe. I personally subscribe to the fact on the football field and off the football field, you gotta look good to play good. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They take suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. The best part is that they are affordable. Almost all of their custom clothing is under $400. The process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will get delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, 
promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. An incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. When you're selling online, getting all your orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming, expensive, there's so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy no matter what you're selling or where you're selling. Amazon, Etsy, your own website. ShipStation brings all of your orders into one simple interface, making them very easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all major carriers, including the U.S. Postal Service, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now, any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less times with the best rates available. And right now, Fin It To Win It listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the offer code BLUE. That's B-L-U-E. Absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation.com, and enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about whether or not the Miami Dolphins have to worry about the Cincinnati Bengals favoring Tua Tunga Viola over Justin Herbert, the quarterback from Oregon. Uh, When you take into consideration uh, what teams are going to try and poke holes in both of these players are, uh, it it really becomes a conflict of uh, ideologies. And I think that's a really fascinating storyline to see develop here. The the knocks on Tua Tunga Viola are going to be a lot of the BS knocks that you hear people talk about in the outside space, which is predominantly uh, left-handed, undersized, lack of physical tools relative to top-tier quarterbacks. Uh, The best one that I had heard was that uh, somebody from a, a front office had recently speculated that, you know, the same thing that you hear people talk about outside of uh, and this this was from my own conversations that I had had, that uh, it's too easy for Tua, which makes it hard for you to really uh, scout him out and get a feel for him as a player, to which I say, you know, try watching a little bit more of Tua. <laughs> uh, you have to work harder to find the plays of value in Tua's game, but they're there if you look. Uh, versus Justin Herbert and the... Uh, the knocks on Justin Herbert are his play under pressure, his durability, and there's some like murmurs and whispers that, from a personality perspective, almost like what we saw with Marcus Mariota uh, coming out of Oregon, ironically enough, uh, several years earlier. He came out of the 2015 draft, uh, stating that, that Herbert's demeanor and personality might not necessarily be a quote-unquote alpha uh, there may be some concerns that players will will fall in line and and really rally behind him as a player just based on his personality, uh, which I think 
it carries a little bit more weight than how do I say it? It carries a little bit more weight than what people on the outside who like the player in question would like to think it does. Uh, I think there's some reasonable weight to those kinds of observations. But players fall in line behind winning more than anything else, right? You're allowed to uh, be rude or upfront or quiet or loud and boisterous. Like, as long as you win, that's what players are going to rally behind is, is the product on the field. You can't be a total a-hole, right? You can't be throwing teammates under the bus left and right. And, uh, but as far as... I think the talent's there with Justin Herbert to relieve that question. So from the Bengals' perspective, I think it's interesting. Because the Bengals have a new coach in Zach Taylor who ignore the fact that he looks like he's over his head right now. They are they are looking to implement kind of this wide-open style of offense uh, in lieu of Sean McVay and in the light that Sean McVay has brought uh, high-flying offenses back into prominence with young coaches off that same coaching tree. And uh, the Cincinnati Bengals have been committed for a long time to a player in Andy Dalton who checks more of the boxes and is closer to the Tua Tunga Viola side of things uh, than the Justin Herbert side of things. And I don't mean that as a slight to Tua. What I mean by that is not six foot five rocket arm, thrives off accuracy, little bit undersized. The 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 physical ceiling for Herbert, I think, is an interesting idea for the Cincinnati Bengals, who have spent the last decade with a player who didn't always have the best physical tools. Two is much quicker than Andy Dalton. Uh, I think he's a better runner. I think he's got better feel for pressure. I think he's more accurate than Andy Dalton. A lot of variables that make me favor Tua Tunga Viola as a player over that in which you get with Andy Dalton. But from a, a physical skills perspective, I think it's very reasonable that the Bengals say, well, shoot, we want to cut it loose. We want to go nuts. And the Oregon Ducks with Justin Herbert have this Big guy that can run, but he can also zip the ball, make any throw on the field. Uh, he's a little bit more battle-tested than what Tua Tungavaiwola was. I think there's a realistic chance that the Bengals could get the first pick and still pick Justin Herbert over Tua because of the kind of offense that they want to run. Jared Goff coming out was not a quarterback who did particularly well under pressure for the LA Rams, and you saw what that looked like before Sean McVay got there. He was a train wreck. He was a dumpster fire. Sean McVay comes in, adds stability, makes a lot of the reads and the checks much simpler, and all of a sudden we're off and running. Herbert's a more physically gifted player than Jared Goff. And you've seen from a statistical standpoint, not so much this year, but the Rams drop-off is a lot more about the offensive line being trash than anything else. They can't run the ball. They can't pass block. Jared Goff just threw the ball, I think, 68 times against the Bucs. You can't do that and expect for teams to not tee off on you, you know? So uh, I wouldn't read too much into the drop-off from Goff this year. 
that offense for LA is still going to hum, and that's still the inspiration for like five offenses across the league right now. If the Bengals were to decide, yeah, we'd rather have Tua, what the hell do the Dolphins do? You're left in a situation where with Tua off the block, you can do a couple of different things. You can take Justin Herbert with the second overall pick. And I wouldn't have a problem with that. As I said, just Justin Herbert has elite physical tools. He's made a big jump in his accuracy this year. Uh, the Auburn game is what people are going to point to and say he can't win a big game. That's nonsense. The, the three best uh, passers from a yardage perspective in NFL history all had like under 40% win percentages against ranked opponents and top 10 opponents at the college level. So don't hammer him because he didn't beat Auburn this year with third string wide receivers. I think Her- Herbert's done a really nice job solidifying his resume. I think it's a very reasonable proposition. The Dolphins want a franchise quarterback. You can get a franchise quarterback in Justin Herbert. I think what that does is it even more so than ever enhances the viability that you or the 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 need to draft offensive linemen. At least Tua can make him miss. He'll make him miss in the pocket, and that's the X factor about him and his comfort off script, his comfort getting out of schedule, how calm he is under pressure, and the ability to sit in there, let you bear down on him, and then he'll sidestep you, and he'll make you miss, and then you flush the pocket and he throws on the move. Herbert's not quite as proficient in that area, but that's what all the great ones right now have. So if you're not going to have that, you're going to have to go back to square one with Jesse Davis and flip him back to the right side. And then you got to draft a left tackle. And you got to draft a guard. And you got to draft a set. Like, you have to have a brand new offensive line with the exception of maybe Michael Dieter. Michael Dieter will start next year at no bones about it. Maybe Jesse Davis. Three or four starters at a minimum on the offensive line next year if you have to draft a quarterback who's not to a tongue of Viola. And ideally, I'm of the school of thought that even if you draft to a tongue of Viola, one of your first-round picks needs to be an offensive lineman. You need to sign a starter in free agency, and you need to take another top 100 pick and draft another starter on the offensive line. You need three starters, and they need to be—they need to be young. They need to be pieces that can grow and get chemistry together, regardless of who you pick. But if you have to pick Herbert instead of Tua, it's even more important because Herbert's not quite as strong in the off-script stuff and making you miss within the pocket. Dolphins fans are going to hate that because they're going to think it's Ryan Tannehill. Listen, Josh Rosen's better in the pocket right now than Ryan Tannehill. Stepping up in the pocket, sliding in the pocket, resetting himself in the pocket. And that brings us to our next option. The Dolphins could decide, if they miss Tua, to build around Josh Rosen. I also would not hate this idea. I have married myself to the idea that it's Tua because all the reports suggest that it's Tua and all the reports suggest that the Dolphins were telling coaches in interviews back in January, we're going to draft a quarterback high in 2020. I look at Josh Rosen and he's played about as good as you could have possibly hoped for considering the circumstances around him. And I know there's some some people out there who cover the Dolphins who have suggested that fans need to expect better out of a quarterback than a guy who's completing 55% of his passes, been sacked double-digit times, thrown one touchdown to three interceptions, averaging less than six yards per pass attempts. Look beyond the box score, right? Josh Rosen, 
I'd bet his stats would look a lot different if the Dolphins didn't have the second highest drop percentage in the NFL at 9.3%. I bet Josh Rosen's stats would look a lot different if he wasn't pressured on 41% of his dropbacks to this point in the season. I bet Josh Rosen's stats would look different if Jakeem Grant, Grant and Preston Williams didn't drop 40-plus yard touchdowns against Patriots, and Devontae Parker didn't drop a ball on an under route against the Dallas Cowboys inside the red zone that he could have moonwalked into the end zone on. Or Preston Williams squeezes that fade ball against Chijobi Awuzie of the Dallas Cowboys in Week 3. Or if Kalen Balaj has a ball that hits him in the ribs on a flat route and he doesn't drop the ball when he could have turned up the sideline and ran in from inside the red zone. Rosen feasibly, if, if they catch those five balls, which were all touchdowns, we're talking about Rosen having a two-to-one touchdown to interception ratio. I bet his yards per attempt looks better. Rosen's playing about as well as you could possibly hope. He had two terrible plays against the LA Chargers, both in the second half, when that was suddenly a two or three score game and it snowballed. The sack inside his own 10 on his own one inch line was terrible. He had a guy he could throw to. But if you watch that all 22 clip, I can understand why he didn't throw a ball because there's a zone defender who's bearing down on that with momentum. If he doesn't put it in the right spot, throw it on the move with a rusher that's going to be collapsing into his face, there's reason to believe that defender could have jumped that football. So just eat the ball or throw the ball away, Josh. Don't take the sack. Don't risk fumbling on your own yard line and having it go out of the back of the end zone for a safety. Or, and the interception from that game. The interception that he threw, he was clearly pressing. He got tra- got caught in trap coverage. He was trying to make something happen because the Dolphins are down big. But you can't throw the ball. You live to fight another day. Two mistakes in that game. But by and large, 9, 9.5% drop rate. 41% pressure rate. People are going to say, no, this is what the Dolphins did with Ryan Tannehill. you got to get a quarterback. And that's like, I'm fine with it. I'm not saying we marry ourselves to Josh Rosen. But if you want to build the rest of the roster, if you miss out on Tua and you don't like, you don't want to take a top five pick in Herbert. You don't want to take a top 20 pick in Joe Burrow or Jordan Love. That's fine. Build around Josh Rosen. Give Josh Rosen a year. And if it doesn't work out, then you got Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. I don't think that's how it's going to go, and I strongly push back against the idea that that's how it's going to go because, all the, again, all the reports suggest the Dolphins are intent on taking a quarterback and getting a quote-unquote franchise quarterback with an early pick in the 2020 NFL draft. Their eyes are for Tua, but if Tua's not there, I don't know how the plan goes. But I know the Dolphins organization would suddenly feel that seat get real freaking hot because if you've gone to 0-16 or 1-15 – or 2-14 and 14 and you don't get the number one pick and you don't get your guy at quarterback and you lose again and you go 4-12 and 12 or 3-13 and 13 the following year, somebody's going to be on the out. That seat's going to get real hot. Steve Ross did not sign up for terrible football for back-to-back years. So that's why I push back on this idea and, and signing off on this idea, but it's an option that we have to consider. The other option is not Justin Herbert, not putting off a quarterback for 2020 and working with Josh Rosen for another year, seeing how he does. But also, considering drafting somebody like a Joe Burrow or Joe Love or Jordan Love or a Jalen Hurts or a Jake Fromm. And uh, if that's how things play out, 
that's honestly where I feel least comfortable. I'd feel great about Tua. I'd feel comfortable with Herbert. I'd feel okay with the idea of Rosen and not investing just for the sake of investing in a quarterback. But if it's the other guys, I like Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's a little bit of a one-year wonder right now. He's a transfer from Ohio State, came into LSU, started last year, and was nowhere near the level of what we're seeing from him now. The same can be said for Jalen Hurts, who played at Alabama for a while, uh, initially started before losing his job to Tua Tonga Viola, and he's gone to Oklahoma, and the Oklahoma system is proving to almost be infallible at this point, where you could plug anybody in there, and they're going to put up numbers but Hertz has checked the boxes where the accuracy is much better than what it was in, at Alabama. Uh, Hertz is continuing to be a two-way threat, winning with his legs as well as uh, as a passer. It's exciting, but at the same time, you know he had a lot of warts at Alabama, and, and we really need to see how Hertz performs in the big game situations, the championship game situations. Uh, which his intangibles are off the charts, but as a gifted passer, I think he he has a little bit more margin for error because that Oklahoma system creates so many mismatches and open throws for him to be able to make in large window throws. Uh, so that's Burrow. We've accounted for Tua, Herbert, Burrow, uh, Jake Eason. Or Jake Eason from Washington is is probably more of a early day two type target now. And if the Dolphins do that, I really feel like it's, you got to get one earlier. You can't get one at all, right? You just spent a second round pick last year on Josh Rosen. Don't go out and spend another second round pick on a guy in Jake Eason who has potential to up his stock and push into the first round. He's got Matt Stafford type skills. And he also was started at the university of Georgia, transferred to Washington, uh, he had a tough go against Cal against pressure. And I think his, his inability to really thrive in, in pressure situations is what will be uh, the knock on him that keeps him from really rising super high. But I'm, I'm very high on his upside. I just don't think he makes sense for the Dolphins in their current situation. And then there's Jake Fromm, who took over for, for Eason at Georgia. Fromm is... Somebody who I wouldn't be surprised to see come back because he doesn't have great physical tools, but he's also not mobile and quick in the pocket either. Uh, He's an intangibles guy, and he's an accuracy guy inside of 15 yards, and that's fine. Uh, But I think in a crowded class from from with the intangibles and, and, and wanting to be a winner and being loyal to Georgia, I could see him trying to come back Again, next year, try and win a national championship if they don't win the national championship this year. Could see him choosing to come back and try and help his stock based on the crowdedness of next year of this year's quarterback class, where next year, feasibly, he's QB3. Comfortably QB3 behind Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields of Ohio State. And that just leaves Jordan Love as an option for the Dolphins. Jordan Love scares the hell out of me, and can be completely honest. I, I understand why a lot of people really like him. And I know Tony Pauline of Pro Football Network put something out in the last couple of days. It says there's a growing belief in the scouting community that Jordan Love will be the first quarterback draft in the 2020 NFL draft. And on a surface level, it makes sense. 
because he's got the off-script ability and the comfort under pressure to make big plays happen of a Tua Tunga Viola, but he's got the physical tools, not to the degree that Justin Herbert does, but enough so that he's a blend of, of really attractive traits of both of those guys. But he cannot operate within structure of an offense. He couldn't do it last year. It was not the, the timing bit of it for him was off. Uh, didn't have a great sense of timing, didn't have a great sense of coverage rotations and understanding where guys are rolling into to take away throwing windows. He didn't get bit with a ton of turnovers last year, but he's get, getting bit with turnovers this year. And uh, I, I think he's a, a boomer bust style player. And if the Dolphins were going to draft him in the top 10, hypothetically, uh, I, I would understand it, but I would have great apprehension about the way that that materializes and potentially lament the, uh, the, the possibility of maybe taking that pick, trading back into the, the early 20s or late teens, picking up a third, second round pick or a third, first round pick for 2021. And I, I hate putting the cart before the horse, but I'm looking at Trevor Lawrence and I'm looking at Justin Fields at Ohio State. I would much rather have either one of those guys versus Jordan Love because they have physical skills, they have off-script ability, and they operate within the structure of their offense much better. I know Trevor Lawrence is not off to a good start this year. Don't read too much into it. There's a lot of layers that the Dolphins can do in the doomsday scenario in which the Bengals end up getting in front of them and end up picking to a tongue of Viola. But there's also, again, a very realistic possibility that if the Bengals got in front of Miami they could go a different direction because Tua, again, the, the scouting community, that, that draft process is all about trying to poke holes in guys. And Tua's played on a huge stage, but he's not under fire on a week-to-week basis. A lot of easy throws, a lot of comfortable throws, a lot of the, all the time in the world in the pocket. You got to really dig through his tape to find the examples that show you that he can do those things. And I don't have a problem with that, but I guarantee you some people will, including people who are making decisions for the league. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Fin It to Win It, talking through uh, the what-ifs, the hypotheticals. Uh, thank goodness no loss this week for the Dolphins. Come back and see us again next week. I want to thank you guys for listening to Fin It to Win It. Fins up, go Dolphins. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.